1: The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Week 3 Recap Edition. Uh, This was a very fast three weeks in the NFL, but here we are. We are uh, already days away from hitting the quarter pole in the season, or technically the quarter pole. It's 17 weeks now. It really throws off the math, pisses me off, but almost a quarter of the way through the season now. We've had a lot of truly phenomenal games already we've had like a season's worth of great primetime games in the first three weeks uh week three was no exception uh, i could not be happier as a football fan with the the pure entertainment value of this season so far so I, I'm just absolutely stoked got my wonderful co-host here eJ snyder who uh even as a beleaguered bears fan i think is still finding some enjoyment in the season thus far but uh what say you buddy how you doing and what are you drinking i'm good i am you know displeased about the
1: bears but it is a big wonderful league and that's one of the great things about doing bootleg is we get to talk about the whole league and there have been fantastic games bunch a couple that we were at plus many more and like you said the primetime games have been showing up in a large way so lots to talk about this week as usual um not feeling particularly down because it's not uh, not that far off forecast for, for what's been going on in Chicago. And uh, I brought on one of the beers I tweeted about on Sunday, which is the Fremont Brewing Lush IPA. I found this uh, a couple of years ago um, and they had it on tap at Buffalo Wild Wings back before the pandemic when I would go there to catch games that I couldn't catch on TV at home and found it to be a really good Sort of in-game drinking beer. Um, it's got a nice clean taste to it. Fremont Brewings right up the road in Seattle. And uh I tweeted about it and uh Buffalo Wild Wings actually retweeted that on Monday, which was kind of fun. Uh, but we still don't have a beer sponsor, strangely enough. But I'm gonna be enjoying that. And then uh for my shot, I went back to uh Milagro Silver, tequila, one of the ones I introduced you to. Um, over ice, and that will be used to celebrate our shots of the week a little bit later on. Uh, what do you have to drink?
0: Uh, well, I'm just going straight coffee in terms of my uh, my usual sipper here, because i got a lot of editing to do. I have two film mm. rooms coming out this week, both on the Panthers defense, but I am not alcohol-free. I do have my Cazadores here for the shot of the week that we're going to get to later in the show. Uh, I-, I don't know why. I always favor tequila shots over... Rum and whiskey shot. I don't know why. I even though like I'm a I love whiskey more than anything else, when it comes to shots, man, tequila just hits different. I, I don't know.
1: Well, clear alcohol, nothing wrong with it. But uh <laughs> there's we we've got stuff to talk about because this is one of the ones, one of the weeks we actually have folks that voted on bootleg shot of the week last week, and then we have nominees for this week as well, and there were a ton, so we should get into it.
0: Yeah, why don't we start with three up? uh, And there's really no other game that we can talk about before we talk about that amazing Packers 49ers showdown. Packers jumped out to an early lead. You know, they could not cover Devontae Adams despite having a pretty banged up offensive line. Aaron Jones had a nice day on the ground. Uh, You know, Aaron was Aaron. He hit a huge uh, slot fade. Uh, early in the game, I think it was on a first and ten for like 40 yards, and they were really running away with it. It was it was it was looking like it was going to be an absolute blowout. I was begging Kyle Shanahan to put Trey Lance in the game because I was like, you need something here. Uh, you know, they they finally got down to the goal line. They put Trey Lance in for a goal line run and then scored. Just clawed and clawed and scratched their way back into the game eventually got a couple key stops you know uh, some really big third down conversions late in the game and a fourth down conversion late in the game and then we got to the last roughly two minutes and I don't know about you um, but when I saw Kyle Juszczyk go in with 37 seconds left on the clock my first thought was not the 49ers are going to win this game my first thought was oh my god, they left too much time, that's Aaron Rodgers over there, and there's nobody else maybe in the history of the sport that can do more with 37 seconds than Aaron Rodgers. What the hell are you guys doing? Lo and behold, Aaron marches right down the field. He and Devontae get a couple big chunks, kick a field goal, game, blouses. It was both the most unpredictable and the most predictable primetime game I've ever seen but also highly, highly entertaining. What was your initial reaction to uh, really everything that we saw play out there? I thought it was going to be a long
1: night for the 49ers early because the first pass that Aaron hit was that over the shoulder of the Lazard, which he makes look so easy. He lays that ball out right in front of him. Lazard just has to put his hands up and basically walk out of bounds. Huge gain, and it was just a flip. And I, you know, being a Bears fan, being a guy that's watched, have, have quite frankly had the privilege to watch Aaron Rodgers play football for as many years as he has. Yeah, it's no fun that he guts the Bears, but he's also a Hall of Famer and one of the best quarterbacks, one of the most skilled quarterbacks to ever play the position. So I have an appreciation for that. And when he does that early, it's going to be a long night for a defense. That is a very difficult throw to make. Not many quarterbacks in the NFL make that throw with regularity, and he makes it look effortless. And I thought, oh, they might run away from it. And The 49ers are a very good team. And it did go back and forth. That made it an interesting game. The score right before halftime was really kind of the, okay, 49ers are going to 49ers are going to even this up or get close. They're within striking distance now. This is going to be a bang it out affair. Super physical game. Um, Devontae Adams made huge catches before uh, taking a massive shot down the middle and, uh, to my eye, getting knocked out um, <laughs> and took some other massive shots in this game. Huge Yeah, can we,
0: can we talk about how that was the quickest clear through concussion protocol ever he was he missed like one play
1: yeah he was back before the series was over um unbelievable shot jimmy ward came across the middle uh laid a good amount of shoulder and helmet into his chest but also put the crown of his helmet you know pretty much directly into Devonte's jaw area uh not a scary looking hit like for any player um uh, but for a guy that's the best player at his position in the nfl and means as much as he does to that team it was that was a pivotal moment and the idea that he bounced right back out on the field i mean you tweeted about it a lot of people were like wait wait, wait what's up how is he walking <laughs> back onto the field but not only did he walk back onto the field a lot of times when you feel like concussion protocol gets subverted and the nfl did come out today and say oh yeah everything was followed with concussion protocol and i'm still like oh really in, th- in 35 seconds me <laughs> um but a lot of times when guys in the past have returned that quickly from shots like that, they don't play well. They're not the same, right? They're still woozy. They say later, or, you know, for years, guys have said, I don't remember the second half of the game. That was a very common thing, which is what the NFL is trying to get past with its concussion protocol. But Devonte was sharp and made massive plays down the stretch. Like that 37 second drive to get in range for the field goal. It's all Devante. Like that's, you know, he makes those catches. He gets them in range. Like he didn't just come back. He came back and performed at like a heroic level. So ended up being a really interesting game. But I like you when you walked in and I looked down and saw almost 40 seconds, probably contrary to what everybody in Santa Clara was feeling. I was like, nope, you're doomed. Like, it's absolutely, it's just to complete with Rodgers. I've seen him do it to the Bears so many times. Well, many teams, but the Bears especially. And you, I just knew like, and I tweeted out after the game, wow, that hurts so much less when he does it to somebody besides Chicago. <laughs> but I just knew, right? It was like they had no timeouts, it's 37 seconds. That there's no way that that should be a chance for the majority of NFL teams, but it's Aaron Rodgers. And I was like, Nope, he's going to do it. And I watched him and I honestly, I wasn't at all surprised. Right. He hit that first long pass over the middle. And I was like, yep. And oh, as soon as that happened, I was like, out. Oh, it's over. He's got yeah. 20
0: seconds to get like 10 yards. Like it's done. Game. Everybody
1: else is freaking out. And I'm like, I didn't even flinch. I was like, "Yep, that looks really, really, really familiar." Like I have a callus against throws like that from <laughs> you know just watching Aaron do it so many times. Still, just an amazing contest. Both sides. Um, we should talk about Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit. Jimmy Garoppolo is. I I had the idea in this game that maybe we're moving towards a, a future in the NFL where we have like quarterbacks that are more like baseball pitchers, and Jimmy Garoppolo seems like long relief. Like he's the guy that's mm. between the twenties, right? He's the between the twenties quarterback. And then the Trey Lances of the world are gonna be the inside the red zone quarterback because I'm gonna bring that additional threat of run. Um you know pass. It's you know look if you've got Lamar Jackson, great, but most teams don't. So we're gonna are we gonna see more specialization because Jimmy look pretty pretty good moving the ball but you also saw why san francisco invested such a high pick in a quarterback because there are some things that jimmy doesn't do really well and one of the ones he hasn't done typically really well and didn't do in this game was once the rush comes in and he puts his head down very rarely does he pick his head up and make a play after that like it's over like if the rush comes close and he has to pull the ball down you're he's not one of those guys that's gonna duck run out look up and make a 20 yard completion and kill you with that. He's going to kind of skimper around in the pocket, find the best he can and either take a short sack or maybe bust out for a few yards, but you're not going to see him come up and, and kill your defense because you've been at it for five seconds. And, you know, I think Kyle Shanahan knows exactly how far he can go with Jimmy G and that's why they went and got a guy like Trey Lance.
0: He can roughly go until halftime of the Super Bowl. And that's and that's when everything is going perfectly. There's no injuries. Yeah. Offense is firing on all cylinders. He can, you can look get to about so halftime in the Super Bowl.
1: But the consistency piece of that yeah. is
0: just you saw it
1: in this game against a fired up defense in a big game, nationally televised game, like he'll make some throws. And you think, Oh man, like if he could just do that all the time, like I don't know why they invested in Trey Lance. And then he does the other thing and you're like, Oh, that's
0: why they did. Yeah, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's fine. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of teams that would like to have Jimmy Garoppolo. Agreed. I'm
1: not saying but, he's
0: garbage. I'm just saying he's like, he has a ceiling. He's and like, he's almost it. there. Yeah. yeah. And I just think for organizations that are not thinking playoffs and they're thinking Super Bowl, which the 49ers are one of them. They feel like <laughs> despite how high they were picking and everything like that and the the quarterback trials and tribulations they still felt like they were in a window and quite frankly i kind of agree when you look at their roster they didn't want to mess around like they just didn't want to like that's why they traded for Trey Lance in, in the first place they're like look we know what we can do with him and it's it's still not enough because if you want to win a ring You have to get through Patrick Mahomes. You have to get through Tom Brady. Now, you just have to get through your own damn division where you got Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, and Russell Wilson. You're not doing that with Jimmy. So it's like, is Trey Lance going to work out? We don't even know yet. But we know what Jimmy is, and he's a guy who can almost get you there. Case in point, this game. They were down 17-0, and honestly, if they didn't run that package or Trey Lance at the goal line, I don't know if they score there. And then they're really in a hole. So it's like they were almost able to win with Jimmy, and Jimmy didn't even score all their points. So I, it's a tough position for the Niners to be in. But man, I'm starting to think they got to just rip off the Band-Aid here. Because I, I almost feel like we're just spinning our tires in mud. Like if if you need one quarterback to get you down to the goal line, but he can't finish the job, what's the point? You know? Well, that's that's the Shanahan approach that's really interesting this year, right? Is he's doing
1: exactly that. And that hasn't been done in the NFL regularly for quite a while, right? It used to be a very common thing. And it really, you know, I don't I don't want to even say it's a myth, just the the norm. Is there's a guy, the team unifies behind who that guy is. They get used to that guy being out there and they, you know, they do their best with him there. And that's what first stringers are all about. Shanahan's saying, look, I think I can minimize some of those rookie mistakes. I think I can give Trey Lance a little bit of runway here where he doesn't have to come in in front of this, you know, massive crowd that's back in Santa Clara against a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's a Hall of Famer, take all the pressure, take all the knocks, have people turn against him. Like, I can have Jimmy go out there and get us up and down the field and play pretty well, and then I can do the wild card thing at the end and say, hey, do I think this is going to be just enough for us to get a score right before halftime, keeps us in the game? He's balancing it really well. I don't think anybody probably – guessed at that there were a lot of people saying well they picked trey lance jimmy's gone they're going to trade him he's not in their plans and they said resolutely and look coach week in the offseason can be trusted as far as you can throw it but they said no no we got a role for him we're going to keep him we're going to play him and everybody said no you're not you just pick the third overall pick and the answer is for now yeah they are they're going to use him in a limited role and they know that they can throw a change up which might be enough to get him points. so it's this weird balancing act but so far, Shanahan's been pulling the right levers. And, you know, they were in the game until the last 37 seconds against a team playing well with a Hall of Fame quarterback. So is it enough? Uh, you know, enough is really tough. We're gonna talk about Stafford in a little bit. We got to see Russell Wilson last week per- in person. Like, that's it. The Cardinals are playing very well. We're gonna talk about them too. Don't worry, Cardinals fans. Like you know, I would say, yeah, Jimmy is the fourth best quarterback in the division, but Jimmy and Lance might be this I don't know, two point five, right? Somewhere between two point five and three. Um, so it's a weird balance for the 49ers, but if they tear it off, uh, you know, Trey's gonna have to take what we're gonna talk about in a little bit, which is the rookie lumps that everybody else is taking. And that means probably the 49ers fall out of contention. So he's trying to say, we'll we'll keep it up until Trey's at a level where he can do that, and right
0: now it's working. It's it's a weird thing. But what was your thought? I I kind of – I almost want two teams to rip the Band-Aid off at once and do a mutually beneficial trade because when you look at Big Ben with the Steelers, I'm sorry. Mm. If your running back is getting 19 targets in one game, you're screwed. Well, like Ben just looks cooked. Let's let's just he tear looks that ben absolutely he looks cooked. Cooked. And the Steelers roster's pretty good. Like, yeah, they have their problems, but nothing that's like outright unfixable. The one thing that I think is unfixable right now is the fact that Ben can't throw. And yeah. and Ben can't move. So I kinda want and this is not gonna happen. But I was thinking about it, and I kind of want the 49ers to explore saving the Steelers from themselves (laughs) and sending Jimmy to the Steelers and, you know, kind of unceremoniously old yellering Big Ben midseason for the sake of saving the (laughs) Steelers For the sake of
1: everybody on the Steelers roster, because it's it's not pretty to watch.
0: And then it just gives a a clean way to just put Trey Lance in full time. And you know what? If you don't, if you fall behind in the NFC West because you're taking those rookie lumps, fine. So be it. You're in a tough division. Like, I'd rather get it out of the way. Yeah, you have to do it at some point. You have to do it at some point because Stafford's not going anywhere. Kyler's not going anywhere. Russ is not going anywhere. Like, you're going to have to do this again next year. And try to, to survive this bloodbath of a division next year. Just get it out of the way. Like, help the Steelers, you know, save them from themselves, give them a viable quarterback so they can at least try to make a wild card run, which they very easily could, I think, with a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, is their ceiling a Super Bowl ceiling? No. But well, if if they don't want to get absolutely wrecked this season they'll they'd probably be interested in that kind of move and then again it, it helps the 49ers too it's a move that makes sense to me it doesn't even need to be a lot of compensation like it, it really doesn't it just it gives two teams a clean transition that i both that i think they both need a lot right now
1: yeah i could see the 49ers entertaining the idea at the trade deadline right which is third of the way into the season right because it's a few more games to get to speed uh you know it's a few more games for the Pittsburgh faithful to go okay that's it no more we're not gonna get any midseason heroics. oh they're already like, there <laughs> I I know uh but they're you know Ben's been a fixture there and and I I thought he was cooked at the end of last season anyways uh you know some guy sometimes uh, I've said that about folks and they've bounced back I don't think any bounce backs coming just because of all the mileage big Ben has, but, um, remind me later in the show when we talk about the bears, cause I too had an idea for a trade that will absolutely not happen. Uh, mostly because it's against league rules, but, uh, it would help two franchises at the same time. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's, let's get on to game number two,
0: uh, Eagles versus, uh, Cowboys. This is one, uh, I mean, I, I expected the Cowboys to win. I don't know if I expected them to win by that much. Um, it it quickly got out of hand in the second half. It was almost kind of sort of manageable for the Eagles in the first half, like they were down, but the, it wasn't like an insurmountable, um, you know, deficit for them because Mike McCarthy, whatever. Fucking reason didn't want to take time out with like a minute forty left, and like you know How Peyton great. Manning was like How shouting great at him was it
1: when Peyton <laughs> just ragdolled Mike McCarthy for not taking a time out.
0: It's like, do you want to win this game? Like, what's what's Yeah, up with you? And just that
1: massive frustration. A lot of people talked about this on Twitter, and, and a lot of people who brought it up about the Manning cast were talking about Peyton Eli Manning doing the alternate broadcast. Um, Peyton's absolute disdain for any. Inefficiency or missed opportunity on the football field, whether it's by a quarterback, a coach, a receiver, a drop ball. He's just he's not even a guy throwing the passes and he's just pissed about it. Like, and I think that's probably the best part of the Manning cast is just that
0: absolute like, what are you doing? <laughs> like,
1: Anybody can knows tell, to take time out there.
0: It, you can tell why he refuses to get into coaching because mm. he knows he's a psychopath and yep. he can't. He cannot handle normal normal hu- <laughs> normal human imperfections. Yeah, like he he sees a drop ball and he's lo- like you you see he's like screaming internally. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he's reliving every missed opportunity in his own career. Um, it's it's hilariously entertaining, but I also understand Peyton like why you don't want to get into coaching and why you don't want to be a GM because. If if he is put into a competitive situation where he's not the one on the field, yeah. he loses his mind. So but it was it was great. And I just love that he was reaming McCarthy for being Mike McCarthy. Um and I remember it tweeted at the end of that game and I was like, could you imagine how insane this Cowboys team would be if they had a John Harbaugh tier of coach? I'm not mm-hmm. even saying like he needs to be bill belichick like it doesn't need to be like a top three consensus coach like give him give him a top 10 consensus head coach with that roster with how Dak is playing with how the defense is playing like they put up 40 something points in that game they should have scored 50 something like they had so many missed opportunities it was so sloppy the lack of even trying to score at the end of the first half pissed me off it was such a dominant win for the cowboys and yet It was still a sloppy game for them, which I think is both a blessing and a curse because it shows how good they are as a team. But it also shows that they still aren't even close to what they could be. And for the rest of the NFC, at least, I think that's a pretty terrifying thought. It is. And I I think it's good for their coaching staff. I,
1: you know, Kellen Moore can can go in and and not pat everybody on the back on Monday or Tuesday and, and say, You know, hey, great job, everybody. We scored 40. You can say, look, we left legitimately 10 to 13 points on the field pretty easily without our coach's decision about time management at the end of the first half. Just look at this play. Look at this play. Like, if we hit these plays, nobody can stop us, right? We're going to, on the offensive side, we're going to roll up somewhere between 30 and 42 points a game with. Regularity if we clean this up. So let's go to work and let's get this cleaned up. Good win, but look, wasn't the stiffest competition we're gonna face all year. Um, but we played well. But look, there's still this large margin. We're not talking about single digit improvement here. We're talking about another 10% that we could tack on. And you're right, if they do that, if they keep working, if they keep their heads down and don't start buying into the success. It's going, they're going to be a tremendously difficult out. I, if they keep improving, we talk all the time about progression, whether or not it's linear, if they keep progressing throughout the first half of the season, I not want to play them in the second half because the offense is going to be just a tornado and the defense is a lot better. This year, a lot better this year, pretty quickly than it was last year. And that's partially through player addition and that's partially through player progression. And it's definitely through getting a coach that understands how to put more of those players
0: in a better position more of the time. This definitely feels like, and maybe I'm speculating here, Kellen Moore is going to get offers to be a head For coach sure. somewhere the Cowboys would be insane if they don't just do it themselves. Because he's he's really the driving force there. Like, it's very much a Fangio in Chicago type situation where it's like, yeah, one of the guys might get coach of the year, but it's the assistants that matter. Like, Dan Quinn has been amazing so far for them on defense in terms of turning them around culturally. Uh, and Kellen Moore, the things he's doing with that offense, like, the assistants run the show in Dallas. Like, it's it's very clear to me that that's what's going on there. Um, and they, they really, they can't let Kellen get out the building. They really can't.
1: I don't think Jerry has any, i any, any inkling that he's going to let that happen. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt in his mind. There's no doubt in a lot of people's minds. Like McCarthy is a is a figurehead. And if you thought he was going to be a whole lot else when he was hired, you didn't watch the last four or five years of his career in Green Bay because whatever he says about what he did on his year off, he didn't. <laughs> He's the same guy. Right? And he was not good. He really wasted a lot of prime talent in in Green Bay for his last four or five years, and he he's largely the same guy. And having that guy in the way of a guy like Kellen Moore is uh, all the more egregious. I, I'm not advocating for mid season firing, but like keep him and his decisions pretty on pretty low, and and give Kellen most of the reins. Call him assistant head coach. Do whatever you need to do. But yeah, after this season, it's. I think it will be pretty clear, if, again, if they continue on a trajectory and don't don't implode because teams do all kinds of things over the stretch of the year. But if it keeps happening like it's happening right now, yeah, Kellen Moore's going to get offers, and the first
0: one should be from the Cowboys. Before we talk about the Eagles, uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Terrence Steele uh, stepping in at right tackle, who— played a whale of a game far exceeding my expectations. Probably far exceeding most Cowboys fans' expectations too. Uh, especially when it comes to the ground game, like he was moving people really, really well in the run game. Uh like this is not an easy front for people to run on, as evidenced by the first couple weeks where like not even the 49ers could run on them. Um, but I mean Zeke had holes and when Zeke gets up to steam, you know, he's gonna tack on an extra two or three anyway. Pollard had a couple nice runs. Like this ground game was was very, very effective, especially in the second half when they needed to be effective. And Terrence Steele was a big reason for that. So uh you know, golf claps to him for possibly playing uh the best game of his career so far. He he really stepped up big for them.
1: Yeah, I that was probably the biggest surprise of the game for me, not Terrence Steele specifically but we talked about the score and the fact that you said, hey, I thought the Cowboys were going to win. I thought so too. But the Philly defense is much better this year, and they were been knocking people around for the first couple of weeks. So I thought mm, it's going to be a really physical game. Dallas' offense is probably the superior unit of of the four major phases in this game going against Philly's defense, which is their best unit right now. Like That's going to be a war we want to see. The idea that they're going to roll up a 40-burger – on that defense, I I wouldn't have put folding money on that before the game. That was the biggest surprise is how big they won against a team that's been playing very good team defense through the first two weeks. Uh, that sort of <laughs> break in expectations was my biggest like, ho oh, moment from that game. When it comes to the
0: Eagles um, and Jalen Hurts, I – but the thing that really frustrates me is his biggest problem from last year is still his biggest problem this year and it's he breaks the pocket way too quick and he runs himself into situations that are very easy to remedy (laughs) Um, and it's not that he's like scared of pressure I just think he has so much faith in his own mobility because he's He's always been one of the most athletic dudes on the field. He just he his comfort zone is being in space. His comfort zone is just creating uh, outside of structure. And it's he's not Patrick Mahomes, but it reminds me of, of like early Patrick Mahomes, where I'm like, dude, just play in structure. Like the design is working. Like just stay in the pocket and throw. And it took a little while. You know, probably by like mid 2019 for for Pat to be able to just comfortably sit in the pocket and throw darts, and then of course in 2020 he started you know not drifting side to side but more drifting back, and that created a whole problem in its own right. But specifically with Jalen, it's it's a very similar problem to a young Pat Mahomes where it's like I get it, you're really good outside the pocket, but just stay there for a little while, like just stay there in like you have a good offensive line. You you don't need to be, like, anytime you see a little crack running to daylight. Like, just sit there and throw the damn ball. Um, like, I still have faith in him and faith in his development, but by God, he's got to fix that problem because it, it just creates so many more issues for him when he breaks the pocket too early. Reminds me of a different guy. Who's that? Reminds me of
1: periods within Russell Wilson's career where he's oh, done yeah, the same thing, right? And the complaint has been, Russell, you're running yourself out of good pockets. You're running your offensive linemen into bad positions that you don't need to. And again, you're good playing from the pocket, playing from structure. We've seen Russell Wilson with time. We we saw him live, like, unleash a couple of moon balls. And guess what? Jalen Hurts is a really good downfield thrower from the pocket. He doesn't have to do it from rolling out. Like, He's surprisingly good. People underrate that part of his game, but you're right. It's, I don't know that it's skittishness. It's just, he's pulling the trigger a little bit too quickly to get out of the pocket. And then he's slow getting rid of the football. And there were a couple of those this week where it's like, okay, if you're going to leave the pocket, cool. If that guy's coming up in your face, you got to have a quick trigger. Either you're going to your guy or you're just going to whip it out of bounds because that's legal and you'll live for another play. You won't take the negative play, which is really important for your offense, but he won't, and then he'll just eat it and eat the sack on the outside. And you're like, okay, that's like three bad things in a play. You broke the pocket too early, you didn't make a quick decision, then you didn't throw it away, which you had the option to do. And throughout his career, Russell Wilson's done that some. You you talked about Pat Mahomes having a problem, you know, drifting a little bit too much and then turning that drift into backwards motion in 19 which infuriates <laughs> your lineman cuz you're like I'm not blocking for you to be 12 15 17 yards deep. I I can't do that. I need to know where you're going to be and if you move yourself up down or sideways and I don't know that with my back turned, it's going to create pressures and it's going to create negative plays for this offense and that's going to get us off track and that can create like you said a lot more problems. So I'd like to see him sit because he's got all the skills. I'm still a believer Great deep arm, good leader, certainly tough, mobile, all that. He's just got to clean up a couple things. One is not leaving the pocket too early, and then the other is, if you're going to do that, have a quick trigger, either out of bounds or to your person downfield, and that's it. Like, bang, bang, one or the other. Don't eat the sack on the
0: outside. Another thing that um, really kind of frustrated me in terms of, of game planning for Philly they had two designed carries for Miles Sanders the entire game and one carry for Kenneth Gainwell. So three running back carries, nine carries for Jalen, some designed, some not. The Cowboys' run defense has been better this year, but it's not some, like, insurmountable force like, you know, when Tampa Bay's at, at... (laughs) <laughs> with vea and sue i was gonna say them, it's like,
1: not like tampa bay you know at the it's end not of last tampa. year
0: when they get vea back and
1: you're just like well you probably shouldn't run it because you're you're not gonna get anything they're not that good and three i saw was a, a modern low for uh running back carries and i don't remember how far it went back but it was a long time it was like since the 60s no team has had less than three halfback carries and it's just not enough Nagy's flirted with that in Chicago a couple of times he's had games where he's had five and six uh which is still bad in terms of offensive balance if you're talking about 55 60 plays and you have six carries it's probably not enough no matter who you're going against but three is kind of uh, that that I'm going to put on Sirianni and the coaches in terms of just not keeping track of that not realizing that that was a thing because that's just not enough balance. Look, a team knows you're going to pass every time. It just, if they know what what you're likely to do every time on a down, it just gets easier, right? They only have to defend so many things.
0: To put it in perspective, again, I'm not like a huge analytics guy. Not that I'm against it. I'm just not very good at math. But uh, the folks over at Football Outsiders are very good at math. And they have some stats uh, called like adjusted line yards for both offense and defense and it's kind of like a a measure of like how effective on a per carry basis an offensive line is or a defensive line is the cowboys defensive line is 25th in the league through week three in adjusted line yards allowed per rush like again they're it's it's not some insurmountable foe here and when your quarterback is very visibly struggling like Jalen Hurts was struggling for you to not even attempt to kind of relieve the pressure even a little bit like i get you were down early but like not not to the point where you don't run the ball at all it was just it was a very i can't imagine they went into the game plan thinking they're not going to run the ball like i i guarantee you they weren't planning on not running the ball but somebody should have alerted the coaching staff of like Hey, our offensive line is getting absolutely dog tired out there because you're not letting them lean on anyone. Like, just call a couple runs. Like, because again, that is a, like, you talk to any offensive lineman out there, like, it, it, ru- running the ball recharges an offensive line's batteries because it's more active than passive. You sit there and try to anchor against a bull rush. 50 times in a game because you're not running the ball, you get tired out really, really quickly. But if you're actually the one kind of inflicting the violence on people, now you're kind of tiring out the defense. So it's like it's it was bad for the line. It was bad for Jalen. It was bad for the defense. Like it, the, the decision to not run the ball was bad for everybody. And I, I really hope they learn that lesson for the rematch later this season because they cannot make that mistake again.
1: And they've got a good stable of backs, right? Yeah. You got Miles Sanders, they've got Scott. They went out and got Gainwell in the draft. You can do a lot of things that are running the ball that aren't running the ball, right? You can line those guys, any all three of those guys up in the slot, motion them in, motion them out. That again is gonna help Jalen understand the coverage. You can do RPOs all day with All three of those guys, you can motion about, you can orbit motion about, you can do whatever you want to get them out in patterns and have short passing game that basically equates running game. But there wasn't a ton of that either. He just didn't see Sirianni and his staff adjust to that and, and let that line go to work on, again, what is a good and improving but not stalwart defensive line. And that lack of balance really hurt him. And I think Jalen Hurts really felt that lack of rhythm.
0: Yeah, so this is just two two games for the Eagles in a row that were uh, were reflective of a young team and a young coaching staff. They, they have not been able to overcome their mistakes on either side uh, in either of these last two games, and, and they caught a couple losses because of that. So I, I hope they grow throughout the season. Um, so that we, we can stop talking about the Eagles shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. But you never know with with young quarterbacks and first-year coaches. Sometimes it, it, sometimes it goes well early, and sometimes it takes a little while. So we'll see. Uh, three up number three, a, a young quarterback with a rookie head coach that are having no problems kind of getting their shit together. Uh, the Chargers and Brandon Staley with Justin Herbert, are quickly showing themselves, I think to be a menace in the AFC. They went toe to toe with the chiefs in Arrowhead. And really anybody beating the chiefs is an accomplishment in itself. Beating them on the road is an entirely different ball game for them to walk in there and come out with a W and, and we can make excuses for the chiefs. Yeah. They had some boneheaded plays. They had a couple more fumbles and, you know, Pat Mahomes threw just a really inexcusable pick late, and then there was the, the the first pick on the no look pass where the receiver didn't expect it and it bounced off his hands, and Asante picked it off. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of unfortunate plays for the Chiefs, and they still barely lost the game. But. That's also kind of a theme that we expect from the Chiefs at this point, where they don't play clean games. Very rarely do you see the Chiefs ever play, start to finish, a clean ball game. They make mistakes. They're an aggressive team. They're a mistake-prone team that relies heavily on the fact that they are so explosive that they dig themselves out of holes consistently. They just happen to run up against a team in the Chargers that is also extremely talented and wouldn't let them off the hook. They capitalized on the turnovers. They got 21 points off turnovers. Justin Herbert is just as physically talented as Pat Mahomes. He's not Pat Mahomes yet, but by God, he's he's really damn good. And then you got Brandon Staley, who I think is already showing himself to be a very, very capable young coach. Um, I think we're just seeing now that the Chiefs, when they run up against an equally talented team, they can't get away with that bullshit anymore. And they really have to clean it up. The turnovers were stupid; they were all preventable. Um, they had some clock management decisions that were again easily preventable. Like this team can't get away <laughs> with with being sloppy like this. That's why they lost the Super Bowl to Tampa. They just they can't get away with being themselves sometimes. And um, honestly, in a lot of NFL games between equally matched teams, it really just comes down to who makes the the fewest mistakes and at least in this game the chargers made less mistakes than the chiefs yeah there's loose which we've
1: certainly seen the chiefs play loose and when you're hitting that stuff it it looks like the showtime lakers you know and i've made that comparison before that when kansas city's clicking on all the cylinders and it's all working out all the no look passes and jump passes to kelsey and you know <laughs> read routes that go the right way They look loose and fast and unstoppable. They look like a basketball team. And when it doesn't, there's too loose, right? There's loose and too loose. And if they get too loose, yeah, you get loose with the ball, early fumbles, set them behind. I really want to focus on the Chargers. I think it's a very, I don't want to say statement. I think it's way too early for statements. But it is a game that if folks are looking around, certainly in that division, they're gonna go. Oh, okay. <laughs> they went into Gay Field at Arrowhead or whatever they're calling it these days. They went into the Chiefs' house and they took a game from them with a coach. Three Wait, games. hold in- on.
0: Is it not called Arrowhead anymore?
1: Uh, it's they have a new primary sponsor, G E H A at Arrowhead. Lots of Chiefs fans are up in arms about it. So everybody still calls Wait, it Arrowhead. When did when did that happen? Uh, it's been that way at least this entire off season because it was that way in the preseason and there was a bit of an uproar because they changed the sign and, you know, uh, chiefs traditionalists were, were, were displeased. I I don't care what the sponsors, I'm still calling it arrowhead. You'd be in the majority. (laughs) Everybody's calling it arrowhead. Anyways, they went into the chief's house and took one from the chiefs with a coach that's three games into his tenure. Um, Against a healthy Pat Mahomes, and everybody rightfully so worried about the Chiefs' offensive line in the offseason, right? It's the reason they lost the Super Bowl largely. Pat was a little bit hobbled, but he didn't have enough protection. They said, We're never going to do that again. And they went out and invested. Um, I won't even say over invested. They just invested on multiple layers and said, We're not going to hit on all of them, but enough of them are going to work out. That's worked out really well so far with Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Um, Turns out the Kyle Long didn't work out, but that's okay. They had other folks in line that were going to make that line come together. The offensive line is largely stabilized, but the defensive line, which everybody thought was going to be completely and absolutely nuts, including us, has not really come to pass. That is not a line that's hurting people. And there was a clip that Nate Tice put up over... The weekend, and he was talking about the Herbert throw, which is pretty amazing because he's in the pocket. He scrambles out to his left. Then he makes a ridiculous, like, only three guys in the NFL can make that throw, and Herbert's one of them. I responded to that on Twitter and said, the throw's cool, but really what's killing me is he had an eternity in the pocket. He had, like, four seconds in a nice, clean, bubbled-out pocket where he felt no pressure, and he was able to easily escape out the side. Like, the Chiefs' defensive front – i really thought and many folks thought like look you're taking chris jones and you're moving him outside and he's been terrorizing people in the preseason he he just doesn't really seem to have the gas frank clark's been a no-show like uh, you know they added some pieces in the offseason and free agency it it hasn't gelled they're not getting consistent pressure and when offenses have that much time whether or not they have a passer as talented as herbert they're going to tear you up a little bit. They're going to be able to put up some points, and when you get a guy like Herbert, he's going to be able to do it more and more often. And to walk in on the road with—I'm not going to—you know—a rookie head coach, but a coach that's got three. This is his third game leading the team. Come away with a win against a, what is basically a full-strength Chiefs team with Mahomes. This is this is not a small thing. It's not the end of the world, but it is. It should go. Noticed, not unnoticed.
0: And, and speaking of Frank Clark, the Chiefs' pass rush might not get any better for a while because he's he hurt his hamstring in practice before this game. And I mean, you know, hamstrings. Who knows how long he's going to be out? Like a, a strain hammy can be weeks. And so you're you're just relying on Chris Jones and a rotating cast of characters. Like they have a lot of guys that I think are are really like good run stoppers and I think they're they're disciplined in terms of like running games and everything like that but they don't have any other like true edge rushers other than, you know, I guess putting Chris Jones outside every now and then but if you're if you only have interior pass rushers and you don't have any edge guys that can clean up the interior pressure, you might as well not have interior pressure at all. So It's it's a it's a unique problem that I'm not really sure what Kansas City's going to do other than like maybe leaning into blitzes and simulated pressures a little bit more, you know, getting the DBs involved um, in terms of trying to get edge pressure with those guys. And then, you know, maybe running some unique coverages behind it to try to generate some turnovers like right now. I feel like their defense kind of lives or dies off turnovers and that's it which, you know, it's a very Chiefs thing. It's been that way for a while, but yeah, no, it's, it's a unique problem. I'm sure they're going to solve it because Steve Spagnolo's amazing, but it, it might be a little while till we see, uh, this Chiefs defense kind of really come into their own. And in the meantime, they're last in the AFC West through three weeks. They are dead last. They're behind the chargers and you got two, three, no teams at the top. So, I mean they're they're starting on the back foot and they got a really really uphill climb here uh, it, with a very tough division. They've already dropped a, a key division game at home. I don't know, man. I they're still going to make the playoffs because they're the Chiefs, but I I, I kind of already feel like they're out of the the first seed discussion, which is big for them because now we could be potentially looking at them as having to do like a full road slate. In the playoffs, like if they can't catch up to the Raiders, if they can't catch up to Denver, if the Chargers take off, which is very much a possibility here, the Chiefs in a full road slate in the playoffs is not something they've had to deal with for a while. And man, it just it, it makes it tougher for for me to kind of have faith in my preseason Super Bowl pick of of Chiefs going there again.
1: Yeah, the offense is going to have to get things cleaned up. Again, it's a 17-game season now. We're three games in. I'm not going to write Kansas City off. They have they have wrongs to write. The offense needs to be cleaner. They can't give the ball away and give the opponents free possessions. Um, you know, the Raiders have started extremely hot. We're going to talk about that. But the Raiders started extremely hot last year, if you remember. They were <laughs> all through September and October. They were tearing it up. They looked amazing. And then they fell off a cliff. Um, the Broncos have, you know, I would say are inexplicably 3-0. Um and we'll see how they manage you know new quarterback uh, tons of talent on that team but do they have staying power late into the year we don't know that's 17 games is a long time like you said i have faith in the coaching staff in kansas city i believe they'll clean it up but the offense is going to have to pull a heavier load and that means no cheapies and like you said sometimes playing a boring game if they can do that They could work their way back in. I'd actually worry more about the Chargers than the other two teams. That seems weird given the first three weeks, but Raiders have been prone to hot starts and cooling off. Denver is a complete wild card. They could sustain it throughout the season. That'd be really cool for them and their fans. Uh, But the Chargers feel like more of a sort of stalking horse threat. It's just a threshing division. Like you've got four teams that know how to play and how many other divisions in football Can you really say that about? And the answer is I think which
0: one? NFC
1: West. Yeah.
0: That's about (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, but I I I almost feel better about whatever you want to call the fourth team in the AFC West than I do about the Cardinals.
0: If the Cardinals are the fourth team. Ah, true. But you know, we'll, they're not we'll right now We'll see this by weekend. Record. They're playing against the Rams. Yeah, we'll they're see. They're not right now
1: by record, but we, we'll we <laughs> talk about that in a little bit. we got, that is a contest game for sure. But like both of those divisions. Okay, I, I give you that. Other than that, like there are not four team divisions. There's, there's a bunch of three team divisions and a bunch of two team divisions that are like those two are going to, one of those two is going to end up at the top and the other guys are working on it, right? Those divisions are both... Like, if I told you right now, three weeks into the season, that any of those four teams in either of those divisions ended up on top at
0: the end of the year, you wouldn't be surprised. This week's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Purple Mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now, and it's all because of their own unique patented technology, the Purple Grid. The Purple Grid has over 1,800 open-air channels to help keep you cool and comfortable as we kind of wind down with these hot summer nights and transition into fall. And also, unlike memory foam that remembers everything, the grid bounces back as you move and shift so that you never get that sort of I'm stuck kind of feeling like you do with memory foam. It's also highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body no matter your size and no matter how you prefer to sleep. It's a really awesome, innovative design, and once you try it out and you kind of see how it works for yourself, you'll really understand why so many people love it. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10, and for a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off of any Purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com bootleg10 promo code bootleg10 for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. All right, EJ, uh, moving on to three down here. So three either teams, coaches, players, situations, whatever you want to call it, that, um, that are either trending down or just had a really rough week. Suffice to say that the entire Bears offense shit the bed. And we can spread blame out to a lot of different places. Offensive <laughs> line did play well. Spreaders. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's it, it's very easy to blame Matt Nagy for everything. Trust me, very mm. easy. He 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 was the root cause, I would say. But at the end of the day, the players also just didn't play well. Like Jason Peters looked really old against Miles Garrett. Um, the receivers were not getting the separation that you would hope for, for some of these guys with their pedigree, Justin Fields, he, he really did try his heart out. And I I think, you know, his post game press conference where, you know, they asked him what he saw on some sacks and he was able to give very eloquent answers of like, look, I saw zero. This is our zero check. They dropped a guy. Shit happens. It was kind of a nice change of pace from like, Oh, I got to go watch the film. I'll, I'll watch the film. I'll get back to you. And then we never really get an answer. Like Justin was able to, give a good picture in his mind of like this is what i saw this is what happened and it made sense like i went back and watched the tape of that of the play he was describing i was like yeah i could see where his eyes were i could see what he was looking at and just just shit happens so the players didn't execute to the best of their abilities but like i alluded to matt nagy i think was the root of everything because he wasn't putting the players in a good spot, I think, to perform to the best of their abilities. When you look at play design, when you look at the just complete lack of respect given to Miles Garrett, like you're not even going to try to chip him. Uh, they ran like 60% empty protection, which this is not a front four that you can do that against. I'm sorry, you just can't. I know you want to get five out in the route, but too bad. You're leaving a tight end and you're leaving a running back in or Justin's going to die. And Justin got sacked nine times because of that decision. Not enough bootlegs, not enough moving pockets, very little to no, like, even attempt to get Justin involved in the run game in, a, like, a design standpoint. It's just a really shitty game plan, like, all the way around. And, and yeah, the players didn't do well, but I think uh, a, a big reason for that is Matt Nagy just didn't put them in a good spot to do well. And uh, there's been a lot of Bears fans calling for his job like immediately. And man, it's it's hard for me not to join that chorus right now because I have not liked anything that I've seen from him in the first three weeks, and I have zero confidence it's going to get better.
1: Yeah, it's we can put blame in one place. We don't need to. There's plenty of places to put blame. Matt Nagy failed horribly. Like his job is to create a plan that puts his players in the best place to succeed. He didn't come close. And then there's some Nagy defenders out there, many, um, that I've run into in the last few days. And I'm not bucking up and saying the players did great and Nagy did terrible. The players did terrible on top of it. Receivers didn't separate. Offensive lineman had a lot of trouble blocking, but the game plan was abjectly horrible and hasn't been great so far. Like, again, this wasn't like, oh, we had two sterling game plans and then there was this. Um, Matt Nagy did so poorly that he made us strongly agree with Dan Orlovsky,
0: (laughs) which is rough. Because for Bears fans, that's like that's we, doomsday. We've
1: disagreed with Dan on a lot of things. Look, I think Dan's a fine guy and a good professional, and and he backs up a lot of his opinions. Like I've disagreed with many, so have you. But Dan came out strongly the morning after the loss and said Nagy should be done. He should be fired. This is either negligent, like he just doesn't know how to do it, or it was purposeful, like it was he just was so stubborn he didn't adjust at all to his talent and that's a coaching sin right that is a coaching sin is to come out and say my system is so preeminent so prominent that I might have a transcendent talent that doesn't fit it I'm not gonna budge because it's my system right and that's what this game plan looked like was ultimate ego or competence in this is right and it wasn't it was so not right it was so wrong it was so lacking in so many ways that that's where people really get at it i look the bears aren't going to fire him midseason they didn't fire mark tressman midseason right so don't fire him but strip him of play calling duties period end of story he should never touch play calling duties again and if he's not okay with that then fire him right if he says no if i don't get to call plays i'm not staying fine you're not staying because you be not oc somewhere call plays there yeah you <laughs> cannot call plays anymore and he can stay as a head coach i actually think he's a pretty good head coach players resonate to him that sort of ceo role enthusiasm getting people to buy in like that's all good but he might be a gifted play designer But he is not a gifted play caller, and there's a huge difference. Bill Lazor is somewhere in the middle, and that is so far above where the Bears are right now. They need to make that move. So he can stay as coach. He can't touch play calling anymore because he has more talent than what showed up on Sunday. I mean, Sunday was abysmal. It was like 68 yards passing or whatever for Justin Fields. They had no hope throughout the entire game. And right now they're averaging, I think it's like 3.6 yards per play. And nobody's averaged oh, less. Oh, that much? <laughs> than, nobody's averaged less than four and a half since 2006. 2006. Dream Girls was the big movie in theaters in 2006. What, why do you know that? Because I looked it up. <laughs> oh, God i was like what happened in 2006 because that's a long time ago now and like dream girls was the box office hit like that's the last time an offense did worse than the bears offense is doing through the first three weeks again it's not just sunday right this offense guided by matt nagy he is the architect and the play caller is historically horrible Right. So you can say, oh, players aren't performing. You can say, you can say whatever you want. The bottom line is the NFL's a meritocracy. It's results based, and the results have been horrendous. And
0: for that, Nagy thoroughly deserves to lead off three down. Uh, three down number two, speaking of bad offenses. So a lot has been made about how the Jets' offense is terrible, the Bears' offense has been terrible. We're not talking enough about how much Atlanta has struggled. I know they just won. uh, So what, they're one and two on the season. I'm double checking the schedule as I go. Yeah, but 17 points was considered a good offensive performance for them. And let me put this in in perspective. They are 25th in third down conversion percentage at 33.3%, 29th in, in points per game. 17 actually brought up their average. They're averaging 16. (laughs) Never a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) Never a good sign. 5.9 yards per attempt from Matt Ryan, which is 29th among starting quarterbacks. He is the second lowest average depth of target in the entire league at 4.6 yards. That's ahead of, ahead of who? Only ahead of Andy Dalton, by the way, which says a lot. Andy, Andy's at 4.2. Um, but Lamar Jackson's like almost tripled that at, at 12.3. Like that's, it's, it's like they're playing a different sport. They just do not stretch the field in Atlanta. Cause they can't like, they literally cannot pass protect long enough to do more than, than quick game. That's all they can do. And they can't run the ball well enough to, to really set any sort of like effective play action up. Um, like they, they really if, knowing Arthur Smith, what they really want to do is like the wide zone, the bootleg stuff. But, but, Their run game sucks so much because they're 28th in rushing yards per game and they're 23rd in yards per carry that these backside defenders don't respect the run game at all. So they're just chasing Ryan on boots and he's getting sacked that way too. Like the entire offense, and it starts up front, let's be honest. Like that's honestly I think the main cause of it. It's not like the system's bad. Arthur Smith didn't just suddenly forget how to call an offense, but their offensive line is so bad that it's, it's dragging down the entire rest of the team, and they're just not functional. Like, they're not functional at all. And I, I almost feel bad for Matt Ryan, because we know he's not a bad quarterback. It's Matt Ryan. Yeah, and Calvin Ridley's not suddenly a bad receiver. They just they, they can't block anybody, and they're paying the price for that. It's, it's
1: really horrible. We're going to have to see how much pivot Arthur Smith has in him and you know when I say pivot he's going to have to go to a system that is not his preferred system because his preferred system worked really well in Tennessee like well enough to get them deep into the AFC playoffs and it was based on a line that could maul people right Tennessee offensive line is a bunch of beaters like those guys are used to like you said leaning on people run blocking for derrick henry henry on the regular and you know beating people up and atlanta's line is not that and so arthur smith and his staff are going to have to continually kind of look at this thing as they go and say what what can we get away with what can we pass protect for 0.7 seconds for and actually throw um the biggest like stake in my heart of this entire thing is watching Calvin Ridley slowly morph into Allen Robbins <laughs> right, oh, and no. realizing that he just can't get targets, and uh, like a supremely talented receiver going, "Oh God, like what happened here? Like we were just good. Like I was right up there, almost leading the league in receiving. We got this hot shit offensive coordinator as a coach, and." The wheels fell off. So Arthur Smith and his staff are going to have to rotate something to something like, because again, Matt Ryan doesn't give you a whole lot in, say, the RPO game. He's not that kind of mobile. And you don't want to expose him to those kind of hits at this point of his career. So, like, can you get into a dealing quick game and have him deal to one of four targets within two seconds or less so that he doesn't die? So they're going to have to, like, hardcore reset at the core quarter ish poll here and go uh what can we get away with we're like and not get matt ryan killed um, and start producing some small gains and hope they turn into bigger ones because we had our site set up here but the reality is you know it's we had a we had a champagne and caviar budget but we're really talking about some bud light and that's what we have to work with
0: now three down number three um this rookie quarterback class, and again, this is this is not a long term take at all because mm-hmm. we loved this rookie quarterback class. We had no, five love, guys go in the first round. Love is current.
1: We we love these guys, and they will get better. But
0: they fell back to earth hard this week across the board, and and some of them. Never really got high enough to fall back to earth. They've just continuously kind of worked their way towards the core. Uh, Ironically, the first two taken, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, they are both tied for the league, league, in interceptions right now. They have seven in three games. Zach Wilson threw two more. Trevor Lawrence threw a couple really just inexcusable ones against the Cardinals. Like the one off his back I, foot was I, I, not pretty. <laughs> it was n- none of it was pretty. Yeah. A- and it's just like there's, there's rookie growing pains and then there's watching these guys and you're like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I, I almost feel like specifically Lawrence and Wilson, like I get it. Your top two picks, you're going to historically not super well run winning franchises everything's on your shoulders. You're trying to lift the team up. But I think, um, David Carr made a good point this week where he's like, look, if I, if I could tell Trevor one thing, it would be the same thing that Troy Aikman told me when I was a young quarterback, which is, it's so easy for you to, it's a lot easier for you to lose a game for your team than for you to win a game for your team, so just don't lose it for them, so that you can be in a position to win it for them late. And right now, you see Lawrence pressing so hard, and you see Wilson pressing so hard. They're taking their teams out of games before they even have a chance to win them, like straight up. That's that's what's happening here. So if I was Urban Meyer, um, you know, if I was uh, really the entire Jets coaching staff, I would sit these kids down and say, like, stop trying to be a hero, be boring, just take what the defense has given you. If we need to do a 10-play drive here and there, we'll do a 10-play drive. But stop turning the ball over because then you're never going to have a chance. Then you're always going to be playing from behind. Then you're always going to have a rush in your face because defensive lines are just going to tee off on you. And guess what? We're the Jets. We're the Jags. We can't protect you. We don't have great offensive lines. So, stop putting yourself in a bad position in the third quarter by making really shitty mistakes in the first quarter. And then the other three, I mean we talked about Justin, um but Trey Lance, I just want him to get on the field. Yeah, which we talked about earlier because I think he gets, he think gets he's the ended. asterisk
1: this week because he was he was protected. He didn't have he didn't really play. He had no throws, he had one carry for 1 yard for one touchdown. Well, isn't that confusing?
0: He scored. It he is scored. a very
1: nice way to put a shine on him at home in front of all the fans and say, "Look, we did a good thing." Now back to the sideline, rookie. We're going to give the ball to Jimmy. So, you know, but everybody else, including Mac, who's looked really good up to this point, like Mac had a pretty good day, thirty of fifty-one. So well, the accuracy is not awesome. Two seventy. The three okay. picks
0: was was the was three really, picks is
1: what yeah. makes it look horrendous and really gets him sort of on this list and yes Patriots fans we know one of those picks was absolutely horrible bounced off his receiver went up like a beach volleyball and was a free ball for the defense turned into a pick six that that's not on Mac right it, uh, it goes on his stats it really should go on the wide receiver but you know 30 of 51 look you don't want rookie quarterbacks throwing 51 times in a game you're probably not going to win most of those games they're they're sort of learning right now all of them what they can get away with and what they can't and they just need to take a few less chances like you said if i was one of the coaching staffs jets or otherwise i would sit them down and say look
0: kind of reminds me of roadhouse did you ever see the movie roadhouse of course yeah i I think it's it's illegal not for an american citizen to see roadhouse Ah. by the by the age of 16
1: (laughs) i wasn't aware of that statute but okay Glad to know California, California on the law, man. Get Cal- well, California might be a law. It's true. <laughs> but in Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze says, you know, he's trying to teach all these bouncers. He's the cooler at a bar. And he's trying to teach all these bouncers when to go off and when not to. And he says, just be nice. Right? And they go, well, what about? And he's like, nah, nah. Just be nice. And they're like, well, what about? And he's like, ah, 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 just be nice until I tell you not to be nice. Right. And if I'm sitting down my rookie quarterback, I'm saying the same thing. Just take what's there. Just go with what the defense gives you. Just do what we're telling you to do. Right. But what about, you know, I roll out and there's a guy open 25 yards downfield. Eh? Just be nice. Right. Until a couple times a half, I'm going to let you take a shot. And it's going to be a design shot. And if it's not there, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to. Nope. Nope, you're not. You're going to be nice. You're going to play within the system, right? Because it's going to help you not take those chances off the table for your team. So just learn how to be nice. Do what we're telling you to do or throw it out of bounds. Live for another play. That's the best play you can make right now because all these sacks and the crazy tips. But coach, I didn't see him. I know you didn't. I knew he was there. I knew if you threw it, it was going to get picked. Just
0: be nice. Well, people look at Herbert last year and they're like, well, Herbert was throwing bombs. And it's like, yeah, but Herbert was throwing bombs, like safe bombs, like that. You look at the the one he threw against Tampa and like, well, he backfooted that. And it's like, yeah, it was zero. Like it was a safe throw. He just had to leave it out there because there's no deep safety in zero. And this guy was going to go get it. And then Guyton got it. It was like a 70 yard touchdown. So it's like, yeah, it's a bomb and it was off his back foot. But it's a safe bomb. Good chance. To and take. so there's there's a difference there. Like even yeah. Aaron, when he was throwing bombs against the Niners on Monday, they were safe bombs. It was like, oh, I'm hitting MVS when he crosses the safety's face and we have like a curl holding the corner like there's nobody over there at all. So it's like, yeah, he's stretching the field, but he's doing it safely. The slot faded Lazard. It's a man coverage call. Post safety is way the hell over there. There's nobody else there. It's a safe bomb. When you're stretching the field, that doesn't mean make a dumb throw. It just means take your opportunities where the safeties aren't. And these guys so far have had to learn some some pretty rough lessons about that.
1: Yeah, somebody made a great point about Wilson and the difference in his offense between BYU and what what Lafleur's running in New York. And the amount of plays that he made out of structure at BYU and how impressive they were. And then look, anybody that watched Zach Wilson tape knows that he made really impressive plays out of the pocket, out of structure. That that was I don't know, 60% of the appeal with him, 70. Like, there's a physical talent. He's a decent leader. But, like, the plays that people would send you on Zach Wilson were like, he rolls out of the pocket, guy in his face, he flicks it 50 yards, and everybody goes, ooh, right? It doesn't work in the pros, right? Or it works less, right? You're going to take the hit because the guy's going to finish on the outside because he's faster. And, oh, yeah, that safety can cover 10 more yards than that guy you were throwing against you know, who is the backup for Washington state, right? It's they're learning what they can get away with. And all the things that he got away with that made him look like Superman in college are largely things that do not work in the pros. And it's, you gotta be boring. You gotta be in the pocket. You got all that talent. We'll unleash it. We'll get there. But you can't make a living on that in your first half of your rookie season. Cause what's, what's going to happen is what's happening right now.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and all of the high quality fabrics that make up their daily wear system. The daily wear system is a selection of clothes that are all built to work together in any combination you want, whether it's their breathable t-shirts and polos or their stylish button ups and shirts to, of course, underwear and beyond. Mack Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, or play with staples like their tailored Ace sweatshorts that pair well with their ultra-soft Pima tees. Or if you're getting ready to start traveling again like I am, you can use their silver knit polo and radius shorts that are the perfect high-tech, but also highly packable combo. And by the way, I have the Ace half-zip, and I've had it for well over a year now, and I still wear it all the time, could not recommend it enough. It's extremely comfortable and worth every single penny. So if you want to try anything from the Mac Weldon Daily Wear system, you can get 20% off your first order at macweldoncom bootleg, promo code bootleg. And again, that will give you 20% off your order. Once more, that is is bootleg, promo code bootleg, Mac Weldon radically efficient wardrobing. All right, let's roll it along to three interesting, and these don't have to be about certain games. It's really just anything around the league that we find interesting. And uh, three interesting number one is the return of Josh Gordon to the National Football League. Uh, He signed with the Chiefs this week and potentially the return of Richard Sherman as well. Took a visit to Tampa Bay. As of the time of us recording this, there's been no offer or agreement or anything like that. But Tampa needs corner help. They've taken some injuries there. Sherman's a highly respected veteran. Obviously past his prime, but he still knows what he's doing. Um, and I think there's there's definitely worse moves the Bucks can make than to bring in Sherman to try to shore up a very um, injured and beleaguered secondary right now. So uh, really, really fascinating to me that we're getting to at least one legend of the game, potentially joining another legend of the game that w- at one point considered rivals. I mean, remember... The Legion of Boom became the Legion of Boom against the Patriots. You mad, bro? Almost a bro? decade ago now. Yeah, that <laughs> You, that you was, mad, bro? That started, or at least put the Legion of Boom on the map when they won that game in Seattle. And Sherm, a young Sherm, it was like a second year Sherm. It's kind of funny, he's an old man now. And Brady was like already 15 years into his career, whatever the hell. Um You know, that kickstarted the Legion of Boom era and really put that defense on the map. And now they potentially could be joining forces. And then you got Josh Gordon, one of the, I think, most indisputably freakiest talents at the wide receiver position that we've seen in the league in the last 10 years. Unfortunately, we haven't got to see him in the league maybe as much as we wanted to, but he can still run. He can still jump. He can still catch. He's still that kind of physical talent. And him joining a Chiefs team that I think is is still trying to find the other wide receiver to Tyreek Hill, somebody that's not named Travis Kelsey, uh, that could be a huge addition for them as well. So again, just fascinating, you know, key veteran additions that I think could pay pretty big dividends for two Super Bowl contending teams.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like the mid season switch, right? We talked about the trade deadline, and and that's the last big stretch for player movement and in the nfl season that normally happens you know closer to a third or a little closer to half they've moved it back a little bit but this is sort of like the quarter poll you know veteran impact edition uh with uh, josh gordon's status has been up and down for years He's been in and out of the league which has been You know, unfortunate for him personally and and quite frankly, unfortunate for football fans because he is one of the most physically gifted wide receivers to ever put on a uniform in in the NFL. He's capable of things that I would say 90% of wide receivers overall are, are not capable of. So and Kansas city's need has been described as everything from gaping to dire, right? They can't <laughs> find that second wide receiver or third receiving threat. Cause Kelsey is clearly their number one or number two, depending on how you look at it. Um, Tyree kill is, is the other, right? Those are your top two, but they haven't had wide receiver number two to round out that third receiving threat. And, if gordon can stay healthy mentally and physically and stay on the field he would provide them with a more than adequate option to fill that role now he's on their practice squad he's got to get up to speed they eventually intend to sign him to the to the main roster the 53 if he if he manages to do that or when he's ready to do that i should say um the sherman news is a little bit more late breaking but ah, uh, come on like Here's a guy that, yeah, doesn't have all his physical gifts, but is physical, very smart, one of the smartest corners in the league over the past 10 years. I would
0: honestly say ever, like if we're really, like I, in terms of people that know the game of football, Richard Sherman is, he's in that conversation easily, like without
1: question. So it kind of fits perfectly into the way this Bucks team is loaded with veterans with Brady helming it. Uh, Brady could be his mirror image on offense, right? Guy that studies really hard, fully understands, uh, is hyper competitive, knows how to take advantage of every advantage that's presented on the football field. Like it, it's kind of a perfect fit theoretically, and, you know, Tampa has need. And and if they can get him, it's, it's going to be a really solid addition. Um, you know, look, don't ask him to run with Tyreek Hill all the way down the field. That's not what he's going to be good at anymore. But does that mean he's not going to be effective in a large percentage of football situations that he's placed in? Nah, he's still going to be able to get it done. He's incredibly savvy. And, you know, as long as he's healed up, uh, again, mentally and physically and and stays focused and on the field, which all, all the indications are that he is that way now, like, that could be a really big
0: swing for Tampa. You know what's ironic, too? Antoine Winfield Sr.'s last team was the 2013 <laughs> Seahawks. He shared a <laughs> training camp with Richard Sherman. He retired it. He, he didn't make final cuts, uh, but he was there all offseason. The Hawks signed in April you know, was there with a very young Richard Sherman. This was prime L.O.B. years and then, you know, rode off into the sunset that that season. Um, I think it, it would be very interesting to me to have Richard, a young Richard, play with Father Winfield and then potentially maybe right off into the sunset himself playing with his son. It's, you know how can you not be romantic about football sometimes just no nah, that that one's fun those connections are are tremendous and
1: you know it's again it's a little bit early it's week 3 to be having sort of big impact storylines about you know additions and roster movement you know we had another trade as well which could end up being a big deal um but just just interesting that sort of out of nowhere like Josh Gordon you know no certainty about his status and all of a sudden hey he's back And he signed with Kansas City. It's like, oh, okay.
0: It's on. (laughs) Yeah. Like potential on for sure. Uh, Three interesting number two. We are kind of starting to see the wheat separate from the chaff. You know, the, the cream is rising to the top. I think, you know, the first two weeks in the NFL, we kind of feel out these teams. Okay, what are they? What are they? Who's bad? Who's good? Once we get to week three, that's when it's like okay this is this is a trend now like very few teams are accidentally 3 and 0 and very few teams are accidentally 0 and 3 that's why the percentage of 0 and 3 teams making the playoffs is like 1% or something like something astronomically low like that and the percentage of teams that start 3 and 0 and miss the playoffs is also very low usually just because of how hard it is to win in the National Football League. If you can do it over and over and over again, you're probably a pretty good team. So these teams that are clicking after three weeks and establishing a trend of being really good, you know, you got the Rams, the Raiders, the Bills, the Broncos, the Cardinals, they're all looking really, really strong. Um, and And the teams that are struggling that we mentioned a few of them, the Jags, the Lions, the Jets, the Colts, the Bears, the Steelers, the Falcons, like none of those seem like fake bad teams to me they all seem legitimately bad the one wild card team off the top of my head that i can think of where i'm like okay maybe their record isn't really legitimate is the vikings because they're like a misfield goal and a dalvin cook fumble away from being three and zero. but other than that like most of the teams that have the record that they have right now i think is is pretty well deserved and pretty indicative of of who they're gonna be this year
1: yeah, we talked about the first couple of weeks of the NFL season, and we talked about this multiple times on our directly preseason podcast, that don't trust the first couple of weeks. Definitely don't trust week one, probably don't trust week two, but now you got to start trusting it at some point. And week three is really that coming out of the fog period where you sort of stick your head up and look around and go, okay, what's what's up? Rams are playing gray football and the Matt Stafford trade looks like the missing piece. McVay looks like a pig in mud. <laughs> He's so happy. Right? Children
0: listen to this show, EJ. I get constantly reminded about my cursing and I'm like, I can't control it. <laughs> He's charging around, right? He can't control it. He's so
1: excited. Um, Raiders three, 0 And again, like I said, last year, they looked extremely strong through the first half of the season everybody said this is it they've turned the corner i'm really gonna sort of wait hold my wagers on the raiders until second half of the season bills again a little bit of a rough week one stabilized started clicking it off made adjustments they they look like the bills uh broncos a little bit surprising i don't think anybody had the broncos as undefeated but the teddy addition's been good and you know they're holding strong cardinals have put up a bunch of points their strength of schedule not tremendous and they have their first kind of acid test coming up they're gonna you know they're gonna play in division we're gonna see how good they are this week it's that's a big game for them struggling jaguars we've talked about it urban meyer uh he's having his you know welcome to the nfl moment uh every week (laughs) he said you know it's like playing alabama every week he's not wrong um lions we knew they were going to struggle uh they're struggling they've had some good plays but they're not racking it off jets there was some hope that they would instantly accelerate from where they've been for years Mm, gonna take a little bit longer than that i could see them being very good in the second half uh bears we talked at length about um steelers oh boy you know, he got some. That comes there. down to Ben. It, you really have to ben. fix the quarterback position. Their offensive line has to play better too. Let's let's be completely honest about that. They're not they're not doing a great job. Some of that's on the quarterback in terms of how quickly he's getting rid of it or not. Um, and then the Falcons are the Falcons are sort of lost in the wilderness right now. They're they're going to have to they're going to have to find their compass and and figure out a slightly adjusted identity for this season uh, if they're going to make
0: any waves at all historically bad yeah um three interesting number three and this was just a a weird (laughs) fucking story this was so much fun to wake up to i was like i'm sending this to Brett. he's not
1: awake yet but he's gonna wake up and be like
0: what i mean i you see the you see the tweet and you're like no he did what (laughs) (laughs) so if you haven't heard if you haven't heard lyle collins you know pro bowl caliber right tackle for the Cowboys. He got suspended. I think it was like right after week one, he got suspended for five weeks for, um, something marijuana related. Um, if I remember correctly, he was like, he was missed seven tests. That's what it was. He missed seven tests. And, you know, he had some, some reasons for missing a few of them. Like one of them was scheduled on the day that, uh, unfortunately the Cowboys strength and conditioning coach passed away. He missed that one. He had another one, uh, supposedly on the uh, day of his uncle's funeral. So he missed that one, which is totally understandable, by the way, to me. But for some reason, the league, you know, said, hey, you missed seven tests, we're going to suspend you for five games. Uh, The NFLPA worked with the NFL to appeal it down to two games. And here's where it got really messed up, because apparently Lyle Collins didn't want to miss any games. And allegedly... According to reports from Adam Schefter, tried to bribe the neutral arbitrator—I guess you can call him—of this suspension when it was being uh, negotiated on appeal or whatever. He tried to bribe this person to just get rid of the suspension entirely. And so then, even though it was agreed that it was going to be two games instead of five, that person then bumped it right back up to five games, which cost him even more money. So the lesson to be learned here, kids, is if you get caught doing something bad, but you you weasel out of 60% of the punishment, just take that as a win. Just take the win and move on. Because now he's missing five game checks instead of two.
1: Yeah, this was I compared this to the John Fox challenge and and fans of the Bears will remember that John Fox challenged a play and ended up with a worse result. Right, it was a fumble that went. <laughs> I through remember the end that zone. game. Yep, <laughs> it was terrible. It was like, no, no, don't throw the flag, don't throw the flag. Oh, you threw the flag. Now they're gonna look and see that they actually gave you the benefit of the doubt, and they're gonna reverse it, and it's gonna cost you points. You just cost yourself points for the challenge. So this is the John Fox challenge of his own negotiated suspension that he was down at two games, and then you know doubled down and didn't win and 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 lost spectacularly. He's gonna lose. A large portion of the season now which is a big deal for because the nfl players don't get paid every two weeks like you and me they, they they get game checks and when you cost them game checks that's that's it that's the real money that's why you see uh holdouts and everything else in the preseason but when it comes down to regular game checks very few people are willing to miss them because that that's it that's all your money um yeah this one was wild uh continues to kind of be wild and at this point you just kind of shake your head and you're like okay seven is a lot I, I realize the testing can be fairly rigorous but seven's a lot uh you know the nflpa your your labor union basically went to bat for you they got this reduced you could have you know wrote out a couple of games a little bit of rest never a bad you would be thing. back next week by the way yeah never a bad thing for an offensive lineman to you know, get a little bit of rest, and instead you go nah, na nah and they go fine five, and you're like no no I thought it was two or zero, <laughs> and they're like no five, and you're like but we oh I shouldn't <laughs> have done that, and there we go five games don't don't do that if you're playing along at home kids.
0: Uh, why don't we get to the bootleg shot of the week? Uh, we had a lot to choose from. Yeah, big uh, week last week. Big week. Big of hits. week. of hits, and uh, you know we we put it to a vote down in the comments of last episode. You guys all voted for Grant Delpit coming off the edge and uh, disintegrating Davis Mills on impact, forcing a fumble. Great, great hit. So uh, before we get to this week's nominees, which you can vote again in the comments below, uh, I want to toast you, Grant Delpit. Good job coming back from that Achilles injury and uh, making your presence felt. Trying to elongate Davis Mills' neck even further. So. I don't even think that's possible, but by but he God, he tried. He tried. <laughs> he tried. Cheers to you, Grant. Cheers, indeed. Oh,
1: man. God, I love oh. Casadoras. Uh, you know, Milagro Silver's no slouch, so we're, we're just an all-tequila show today, and I have no issues with that. I will say, though,
0: going from coffee to tequila... <laughs> hot there coffee is, by the way to tequila there is a cocktail mm. that you need to try because you're one of the
1: few people uh with enough bar supplies in your house to support it so look it up it's called mm. a brave bull
0: a brave bull yeah look What's it up in, in your cocktail book <laughs> I, i'm very curious i'm assuming should it be. involves coffee and tequila <laughs> huh Oh, here we go. It's like, well, the first result. Okay. Brave Bull cocktail. I'm going to read this off just because I'm fascinated by this. (laughs) Two ounces Blanco tequila, one ounce coffee liqueur. Oh, I have both of those. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's not hard at all. No. No, it's an easy cocktail uh, to make. Mr. Black. Black. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try that for the next show then.
1: Yeah. It was a cocktail that I never tried until I went to a friend's house that had a bar and it was late at night and I was like, well, I would never pay for this, but since it's here, I think I have to. It's interesting.
0: I, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it I at that. It's three, interesting. I have three different coffee liqueurs, so I'll have to try it a few See, different versions. Of course, then, you
1: do. So, I know, all right, but I'm this that, week we've
0: I'm we've that. got we've got shots.
1: So last week, obviously Grant Delpit came away the winner. There were a lot of hits this week, and just a quick reminder on the rules for bootleg shot of the week. We're not here to see anybody get injured, and if they got a flag on it, look, I realize that NFL officiating has been a little bit overboard this year on flags. If they get a flag, we're largely not putting it in here. If somebody gets injured, we're definitely not putting it in here. If somebody gets knocked out, sorry, out of the running. Not happening. We want good, hard, clean hits. The one hit that was kind of on the line this week that we didn't include was Gronk's hit. Terrell Lewis hit Gronk, coming across the middle, hit him in the ribs. Clean shot, legal no penalties. Gronk was hurt, not injured on the game. And Arian said x-rays came back negative. He'll probably play next week, but it was a, it was a rib shuffling shot. So we didn't end up putting that one in. The first one we have this week is Robert Tanyan's crack block on Nick Bosa. And this one was flat destruction i saw this live tweeted it out said holy cow nick bosa just got annihilated by a crack and then other people very quickly <laughs> including mitchell schwartz put up the video we're gonna we're gonna link the video in the comments um nick bosa did not see robert tonyan coming down he was he standing just out of his line of peripheral sight and he got put on his can instantly this is this is as good a crack as you're ever gonna see the next one cj mosley of the jets mashing melvin gordon at the goal line melvin gordon melvin gordon looks like he's gonna make it in cj mosley stands him up bends him over and pushes him sideways like at it's a good straight like inside linebacker track 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 hit the running back and just absolutely limit their progress great shot that was a reader suggestion by the way on twitter on sunday um this one's fun always cool to get special teams into the mix we already got offense into the mix uh cj ham of the vikings de a seahawk defender on on special teams this is a punt uh guys coming in off the edge to try and get (laughs) a piece of the punt ham a fullback knows all about leverage goes up high both hands in his chest completely pulls his feet off the turf and puts them on his back And the last one's really fun. It's offense again, but Sony Michelle and pass pro on the nickel blitz versus Tampa. This one's more fun in all 22 than it is in the TV angle, TV angle. all, All you really see is Sony Michelle coming across and upending Ross Cockrell and putting on his noggin as he was coming in on the nickel blitz on the all 22. You see that Sony Michelle was sort of scheduled to run a little flare route. And he was like one step from the point of no return when he, out of the corner of his eye, sees Ross Cockrell coming in, reverses field with great quickness, gets over there and submarines Ross, which causes that flip and has Cockrell land on his head. But Sony Michelle was like just about out of the backfield on the left side, comes all the way back in front of Stafford to clean off Cockrell, let Stafford get a clean release on the pass. Great awareness by Sony Michelle, tremendously athletic to reverse field that quickly and then get a really good piece of Ross coming in. Um, just basically take him out of the blitz completely. So those are our four: Robert tonyan C.J. Mosley, C.J. Ham, and Sony Michelle are our bootleg shot of the week nominees this week. Uh,
0: if I had a vote, which I do, I will be voting. um <laughs> I, It's got to be Sony Michelle for me because that's the kind of hit where like Matt Stafford sends a bottle of wine to your house after because it's like thank you for for taking. And like if, if Sony Michelle didn't get shot of the week on that Ross Cockrell would have, because he had Matt Stafford dead to rights and he was about to absolutely annihilate him. So either way that play was going to be on this list and it was just great of Sony Michelle to, to scan and see it. And I mean, it really heads up. Perfect. Play. Yeah. Really, really heads up play. Just a good football play. The kind of stuff that the coaches play in the film room on Monday morning to the entire team and, and gives props to a guy for, yeah. um, just awesome, awesome play. Uh, why don't we get to uh, our week three watch list to wrap this up? Uh, the three, technically four games that we're most excited for this weekend in terms of like just pure football matchups that I think you and I can agree that we cannot wait to watch: Cardinals Rams, because we want to see okay who's who's for real in the NFC West. You know, kind of sorting out the top dog in that division is. Um, of utmost interest to me Panthers Cowboys because I really want to see this Panthers defense go up against the Cowboys they are on a historic pace defensively and by the way fun fact just the Panthers run defense alone is pretty crazy they're only allowing 45 yards per game when you look at the 2000 Ravens widely considered to be the best modern run defense of the last oh I don't know 30 years they only allowed 970 yards in a 16-game season. The Panthers right now, even in a 17-game season, are on pace to allow 200 yards less than that. 45 yards a game. It's Nobody's ever even come close to that. I highly doubt they're going to hold that pace the entire season, but even if they can hold, like, 70% of that pace, they're <laughs> yeah. going to be considered among the best run defenses of the last several decades. And going up against that Cowboys offensive line, I can't wait. It's going to be an absolute war in the trenches. Must-see TV to me. And then uh, last game, or te- technically second to last game on the watch list, Raiders-Chargers. Because, again, kind of trying to sort out, okay, who's top dog in the AFC West? Trying to figure out, um, you know, is can the Raiders hold up against Justin Herbert? Or are they going to go 4-0? And, uh, you know, can the Chargers get to 3-1 and and assert themselves at the top of that division as well because we know that uh, they're incredibly talented and well-coached themselves. And then, you know, the asterisk game that everybody's going to be watching, even if we expect one team to completely beat down the other. Um, In terms of historical significance, I cannot ignore Patriots-Bucks. I will be glued to my television watching that on Sunday Night Football. Um, I cannot wait to see the return. And I I I have to imagine that every Patriots fan in that building is going to treat Tom more with reverence than as an enemy because they want they want him to be a Patriot. They don't as much as they might believe in Mac Jones. They still wish they had Tom. You know, it's he's he's Tom Brady. They they didn't want him to leave, so it's going to be a fantastic environment. Uh, probably the Bucks beating the shit out of the Patriots, but I guess we'll see. Most likely the Bucks beating the shit out of the Patriots. So those are our four games for the watch list this week. All of them, well, most of them should be very entertaining football games. And all of them are very significant, at least to me for one reason or another. Uh, before we get out of here, EJ, what do you got coming this week over on Bears Over Beers? Uh, Bears
1: Over Beers, we've got a Detroit preview. Uh, very special guest. We're going to have Kent Lee Platt, known as Math Bomb on Twitter, who is the... Uh, Father of RAS, Relative Athletic Score, also big Detroit fan, so that'll be fun. Got some RAS themed questions cooked up for him, um, and then we have a live stream coming on Saturday. We haven't had one of those in a while. We haven't uh, we haven't given the fans a, a place to let off steam in a little bit, uh, but we're gonna get back in the saddle, do a live stream on Saturday. We'll have all the details on Twitter. I uh, haven't quite settled on a time yet, but but want to give all of you voice uh chance to ask your questions. Um, yeah, we haven't done that. We're hoping on having a guest as soon as we as soon as we dial that in. We'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, live and we think it's going to be a us. very special guest.
0: By the Yeah, way. this like is not this just is any not, guest.
1: This isn't like the guy that was working the corner 7-11 and we're like, hey, do you like football? Like not that kind of guest. a. a a top like guest, so we're not gonna we're not gonna tip hat until that's absolutely ink dry, um, in the building kind of thing. But uh, yeah, should be fun either way. Um, live streams with us tend to be that way, so bring a beverage, bring some questions, um, swing by on Saturday. Uh, we'll have all the details in both of our twitters uh, throughout the rest of the week, and then we've got other big news about bootleg that many of you have asked for for a long time, which is Patreon is coming bootleg patreon probably should be up by the time this launches uh we're incredibly honored that so many of you have asked uh it really does still set me back it seems very surreal that people are like no i want to pay you for talking about football um yeah just very humbled by that uh many people have asked uh we've been a little bit slow in getting it up we got all the bugs worked out um so it's gonna launch this week uh should be up for saturday as well for the live stream we'll be talking about it then and of course we'll be linking it to all the social channels and and getting it out there uh but thank you all for asking in the first place that's a that that still twists my brain into a knot but uh very very glad that you think it's worth it um and we'll have some fun benefits on there as well so check it out when you get the chance and then what do you have you already talked about all the editing you have to do tonight so i know you've got stuff in the hopper.
0: Yeah, I have a, a film room specifically on the Panthers' run defense coming, and then I have a, a separate film room because it was going to be like a almost Oh, yeah, I saw that you split forty. Just <laughs> like I yeah. bet. <laughs> I, I basically just, I'm turning it from a short film into two film room episodes. Second one's going to be on their pass rush. Some of the really fun creepers they run out of nickel. Some of the stuff that uh, you know Tyler Biotish and Dak Prescott are going to have to sort through this weekend because they run some there's no other way to describe it. They run some really sneaky shit uh, in, in their nickel packages. Like they don't just rush for they rush four with pizzazz. And so I'm going to be uh, breaking all that down. It's going to be <laughs> for, a really fun episode Four
1: with jazz hands.
0: Um, yeah. Brian, sh- Brian Burns coming off the edge of spirit fingers. Oh, it's,
1: it's, great. it's great. It should be said that there were three hits this week that we considered for bootleg shot of the week from the Panthers game this week. Like, they get guys free, and when they get guys free, those guys get home. Reddick, Burns, there was a Jeremy Chin hit this week in that game. Like, that game against Dallas is going to be really interesting because they hit. Like, that offense is high flying in Dallas, that defense is physical in Carolina. So it's going to be, yeah. That speaking of must see TV, if you if you pin me down and said you could only watch one of those games, like, I think for that's me the one. that it would be cowboys panthers um yeah so uh yeah full week lots of content coming your way but uh let's get ourselves out of here and uh reset and we'll
0: see you on saturday we'll see you all back in uh a few days for that live stream and until then later Take care.